1: Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio.
0: Do you know what a dink is? It's been a trend on social media, especially on TikTok, of... Couples without children posting about their lifestyle as dinks. That's dual income, no kids. I have a few thoughts on that. would love to hear from you coming up in just a little bit here on Trending. Also, did you hear that California is a no-kill state? That is for dogs. I'll share with you about that and how much California, the state of California government has spent your tax dollars, if you live in the state, to prevent dogs from being killed. And Don't get me wrong. I'm not a fan of killing dogs, but I also see the millions of dollars going into this and the comparison to what's happening with abortion as interesting. Something to be said on that in just a little bit. Joining me today on Trending is Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, Doug Hinderer, and we're diving into four things that damage marriage. If you have a question about family life, raising children, navigating your marriage, we'd love to hear from you. What's going on? How can Doug help? Again, he's a licensed marriage and family therapist, and we're here with a keen Catholic take along with sound psychology and therapy from Doug. So it's free advice for you, your marriage, your family, your kids. The number is 888 914 Nine one four nine. You can also ask your question now on social media. Just find me at Timree, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, where we put that question box up, especially on Instagram. Easy to ask your questions there as well. Doug, welcome back to Trending.
1: Good to be here with you, Timmy. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you. I was looking at this topic of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, these four things that damage marriage, that often lead to divorce and disharmony. And I'm looking forward to having this conversation because I see so often marriages go through seasons where Mm – they're not as strong as they can be. And sometimes those seasons can roll over into long-term behavior. It can learn and lead into animosity, a lack of forgiveness. And so I really appreciate this topic because I think it helps us as married, if you're married, to be aware of different things going on in the marriage, especially with regard to communication that can be so damaging. So can you share with us what yeah. these four things yeah. are that damage marriage?
1: Sure. Yeah. And I think the, the thing to keep in mind is that conflict exists in all marriages you can't have a marriage without conflict because we just have too many defects and flaws and original sin and you know our own temperaments and interests and likes and personalities and stuff so you're going to have conflict The idea is to not avoid conflict, but to be able to deal with it well. Well, these are four behaviors that show up in conflict that lead to very destructive ways of dealing with the conflict, where we don't get it resolved and we actually damage the relationship uh, between the husband and the wife. And there's four of them. It's criticism is first, contempt, number two, stonewalling, number three, and defensiveness is number four
0: let's break them down so dive a little deeper on criticism i think a lot of us know what criticism looks like but what are maybe some (laughs) of those areas where we don't realize that we're being critical
1: yeah yeah we've all received criticism for sure uh and we tend to give it a lot out as well so you know uh, uh, criticism is is like a complaint you know that adds some negative words about your spouse's character or personality it's it's placing blame so you're not just pointing out what you're unhappy with you're actually blaming your spouse for that, right? Uh, and so it often, you know, uh, starts out with, well, you know, you never, or you always, or you know, I, I, why can't you just do this, right? It's it's this idea that you've got defects and it's my job as your spouse to point out what's wrong with you so you can fix yourself and not go through life at all messed up like this. So it uh, I'm pointing out your defects generally because I love you, uh, but Sometimes because your defects annoy me, and if I point them out, hopefully you'll stop doing it, and then I'll be happier.
0: It's such a violation of freedom at the end of the day. And I know we all oh. have this tendency very easily to critique others, but within marriage, it almost becomes an element of control at a certain point. And the very antithesis of what our faith is so focused on that God gave us that freedom, yet we try to micromanage others a lot of the time within marriage.
1: Yeah, right. And it's a lot of times, it's not that what I'm doing is wrong or bad. It's just that it, it violates some pet peeve of yours, right? It just kind of irritates you, uh, you know, that I don't put the cap on the toothpaste or something like that when I'm done with it. And and so I'm, I'm trying to shape you up, not so much because you need shaping up, but because my life will be, uh, I'll be less annoyed and irritated if you do things the way I want you to do them. Yeah, mm-hmm. And it, it, it doesn't work because If the wife levels the criticism to the husband, it makes the husband feel like a failure, which husbands are very sensitive to. And we talked about that a few shows ago when we talked about needs and fears in men and women and the man's dominant fear is failure. And so when the wife criticizes the man a lot, well, he feels like a failure. And all of a sudden, why do I want to be around somebody who constantly makes me feel like a failure? Uh, And if the criticism comes from the husband to the wife, well, she doesn't feel well-loved. And that's her dominant need is to feel well-loved. But, boy, I don't feel too loved if every time you say something to me, you're telling me what's wrong with me. Uh, And I'm not sure I want to hang around you all that much either, because that's kind of painful that no matter what I do, somehow it's just not good enough for you. So it really uh, harms a marriage a, a great deal.
0: And I'm just thinking of a story of a friend who grew up with her, was a great cook, loved not just a cook, but bake, was very creative. And she got married. And I remember years into her marriage going over to her house and she doesn't cook. She doesn't cook at all. Mm. Never bakes. Doesn't cook. Uh, husband does a lot of the cooking, and or they eat out. And she, like, mm. she she cleans up. She takes care of the home. Like, super awesome mom. Always, you know, there taking care of the family. And I remember just asking, what happened? What what happened? You love to cook. You love to bake, especially, but you love to cook. And she said, nothing. I ever made was satisfactory Mm -hmm. and it became so bad that as my kids got older it wasn't just my husband criticizing oh it's it's too Uh. too well done or under well done or you know the spices aren't enough it became my children starting to do the same thing and so I just went, okay you know if you want food made a certain way and what stood out to me was that like cooking is so fundamental to for a lot of women to motherhood to nurturing and nourishing and it hurt It, it was a real wound for her but she up just having to let go of it for the sake of our marriage but the, because the criticism was so intense
1: see that's a really uh, great point that you bring up and these four horsemen are contagious all right especially to our children so you know we teach our children how to handle these things by they imitate us and so if they're grown up in a home where one of the other of the parents is very critical of the other they will learn that oh this is how I should run a marriage I should criticize my spouse and point out what's wrong with them and this is how married couples do it and then they're going to get married someday and they're going to do that and they might have a spouse who isn't quite as accepting of the criticism that can lead to some serious problems and so yeah our kids will whichever of these and we all kind of have a favorite horse that we tend to ride here and whichever one that is we're teaching our kids to ride that same horse and that's probably not a lesson we want to teach them
0: so, what do you do if you are in this season of criticism and you need to get rid of that habit?
1: Yeah the um yeah, to get rid of the uh, of the the habit of criticism, I think part of it is to realize that you know, I married a person with defects, and that doesn't make that person a bad person. And if they're doing something that's not good, then I need to have a gentle conversation with them. And, and there's a formula that I work with my couples on. It's a three-step thing, but it starts out with the words, I feel, and you label your emotion. So I feel sad, I feel anxious, I feel worried. I feel when you, and then what the person does, um, and then what you'd like them to do different. And so I'd like to ask you to please you know, do something different. So I feel worried when you come home from work late and you don't call and tell me you're gonna be late. And would like to ask you to please call if you're going to be more than 15 minutes late. So that's kind of a gentle way to resolve that, that potential conflict. And, and it's a much better way than to say, do you know what time it is? You're always late. You never, you're so inconsiderate. You never call. And I just, why won't you do that? That's a criticism that's going to drive your spouse away as opposed to saying, hey, I really worry about you when when you're not here when i expect you to and just could you just please call that's a very gentle way to ask what it is you'd like as opposed to placing labels and criticisms on your spouse
0: let's dive into the second of the four horsemen of the apocalypse those four horsemen those things that just damage marriage that we can work on ahead of time if we're aware of them
1: yeah yeah the second one is contempt very similar to criticism but much more damaging all right so this is a, a complaint It's characterized by sarcasm, uh, name calling, uh, uh, mockery. Um, The intent uh, with contempt is to actually hurt the other person, not to actually solve the conflict. So it almost always comes from a place of anger. So oftentimes what happens is I'll criticize you, you're not responding, I start to up and elevate the temperature, I elevate the intensity, now my voice goes up. And now I'm going to start using some language to get your attention. And so I might call you names, like you're lazy or you're an idiot or what, you know, it often starts with the word you, right? So you are a bad person. You are this, that, you're lazy. Um, And it's it's designed now to hurt you. I'm angry. You're not giving me what I want. You're not making me feel well-loved. You're not making me feel safe or whatever. And I'm angry about it. And now I'm going to say it loud and clear. In a way that's going to get your attention but in a way that's very hurtful
0: so how do you fix it
1: well you fix it uh, in, in much the same way by by saying here here's what i need you to do different you need to realize that contempt uh is the most deadly of the four horsemen because it comes from a place of anger and it cuts the deepest you need to realize that you are not going to heal your injury by injuring your spouse, okay, I can't heal what's what hurts in me by hurting you in place of it. A lot of times, you know, I run into couples who feel justified. You know, I've been so mistreated for so long, yada yada, that I I, I owe it. You know, I, I'm entitled to be mean back to my spouse because they were mean to me, and the 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 understanding needs to be. You won't heal just by hurting your spouse and you're not going to get them to want to change because they're going to be hurt and angry at you because of the way you've treated them. That contempt is just going to drive a bigger wedge between the two of you. It will do nothing to heal whatever is broken that's going on in the relationship.
0: Is gratitude helpful in countering both of these? You know, I hear contempt, I hear criticism, and it just shows such a fundamental lack of gratitude for the life we have, the person we're married to. How important is gratitude in combating criticism and contempt?
1: Yeah, 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 gratitude is huge. It's one of the ways that we grow love in a, in, a, in a marriage is by showing gratitude. So I use the story sometimes, the example of, you know, husband comes home from work and he walks through the door and he's really dragging. His shoulders are hunched over. He can hardly pick his feet up. And the wife says, hey, what's going on? You look uh, pretty, you know, pretty, pretty exhausted. And the husband says, oh, man, I had a tough day at work. The boss was angry. He was yelling at me and screaming at me. He slammed the door. He really said some pretty harsh things to me. Well, the wife has two choices. Uh, she could say, well, what did you do that made your boss so mad? Well, that starts dipping into criticism or contempt, right? Like somehow you did something wrong. You're a bad guy. The other choice is for the wife to say, hey, your boss is an idiot. Your boss should appreciate you. for all- I know how hard you work. I know how dedicated you are to that company. Come here. Let me tell you how grateful I am for how hard you work and the sacrifices you make for our family. Which of those two is better for the husband? Obviously the second one, not the first, but if we're in kind of a negative place or we're used to criticism and contempt, we'll go down that first path. Like, cause what's wrong with you? Cause your boss didn't get mad for no reason. You must've done something wrong. So uh, stay away from that, but go to gratitude, go to affirmation, go to encouragement when given the, when given the choice.
0: What is the third of the four key things that can really get in the way of damaging the marriage?
1: Yeah, third is stonewalling. And that's where I just shut down. I just tune you out. I might just go quiet and start reading the paper, even though you're still talking to me. I might walk out of the room. I might leave the house, go for a drive. Um, I just can't take, take it anymore. So criticism and contempt, I, I, I talk about those in terms of protests. Both of those, when you're hearing criticism from your spouse, your spouse is protesting saying, I'm not feeling well-loved. Please love me better. Now, they're conveying that message in a way that's going to drive you further away, but that's really what they're asking. But in stonewalling, all of a sudden now, being in the same room with you is dangerous. It's dangerous to my heart because you're saying some things that really hurt. I got to go to a safe place, and that's going to be any place where you are not So I'm going to get out of there. The research is pretty clear from from John Gottman that once your heart rate gets above about 100 beats per minute, you've lost your ability to be rational and logical. You're now in fight or flight. And I don't want to get in a big fight, so I'm just going to get out of here and go to a safer place. Well, obviously, um, if if you can't stay and solve the problem, you can't solve it if you leave. right? So you've got to stay to solve it. But once you're flooded, now you're really, you're, you're, your physiological systems are aroused. You're not going to be able to think logically to solve the problem either. So the, the solution to this is some self-soothing, right, to calm yourself down. Um, but it's also to be able to call the timeout so you can go someplace and, and calm down. But the important part of the timeout is you've got to say when you're coming back. You've got to say, mm-hmm. listen, I'm really upset now. I'm really flooded. I need to take a break. Can I come back in an hour and can we pick this back up? Oh, okay. If that happens, if the husband says that, the wife isn't feeling abandoned now. She's feeling, okay, I'm important. You're going to come back. If the wife says that, the husband's like, okay, I I still feel respected. You still respect me. You want to get this resolved and you're coming back. So I'm good with that. Yeah, let's take a break. So that's that's the solution for stonewalling.
0: I love this. If you're just joining me, you're listening to Trending with Tim Ray with licensed marriage and family therapist, Doug Hinder. What's going on in your marriage? How are you trying to navigate challenges in your marriage or in parenting? Parenting is so difficult today. Many lifestyles, many different ways of parenting, but we have key Catholic take as parents. It gives us sound guiding principles. And joining me now is a licensed marriage and family therapist, Doug Hinder, to take your questions. So free advice. This is your opportunity. Give us a call. The number is 888-914-9149. Again, that number is 888-914-9149. Or you can ask your question now on social media as well. We're diving into four things that damage the marriage. We've talked about criticism, contempt, and stonewalling. What's the fourth one, Doug?
1: Yeah, so the fourth one is defensiveness. And in defensiveness, it's the idea that the problem is not me, the problem is you. and. I had, you know, I had a young couple, I started working with a few months back and when I started with a couple, I always have an individual session with each, the husband and the wife to kind of get their unfiltered, you know, take on what's going on in the marriage. And the husband and this couple had been married like less than six months. The husband said, Doug, I'm, I'm far from perfect, but I will tell you 95% of what's wrong in this marriage is because of my wife, not me. Uh, and that's an example of defensiveness. It's all her fault. It's not mine. And when he said that, I thought, you know what? I'm probably going to have three more sessions with this couple. And then he's going to stop coming because as soon as I turn the pressure on him on what he's doing wrong, he's not going to want to hear that. And he's going to shut down and stop coming in. And sure enough, we had three more sessions and he decided he didn't need any more counseling because he wasn't willing to own his contribution to the disharmony. Um, and that's just a really tough thing. And I, yeah, you know, I, I use the example that um, you know a couple weeks ago I let the dog out in the morning, uh, and it had rained overnight. And the dog came in, and his paws were muddy. And so, being a you know a conscientious <laughs> pet owner, I um, you know I, I wiped off his paws, uh, and he proceeded to run into the living room and leaving evidence that I had not done a good job. Now we have muddy paw prints in the living room, and my wife showed up, and she of course noticed it right away. Uh, and she pointed it out to me, to which I said, well, this is your fault. She said, (laughs) this is my fault? I said, yes, because if you'll recall, I wanted to put in a hardwood floor. You're the one who chose the carpeting, (laughs) right? So that's a humorous, I hope, humorous example of, uh, of defensiveness, right? No matter what's going wrong, I don't own any of it. I blame you for all of it, and obviously, I can't solve the problem if I don't own my share of it.
0: I love that story because it's a very human story, a great example yeah. of how we can struggle right in those moments, even if it, I mean, and that one was funny. I don't know if you meant yeah. it funny or if you meant it legitimately. I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. But like the, these examples are so legitimate. like They happen all the time. And I've only been married. We're coming up on five years. And you yeah, see these great. things that can come and go for moments or they can turn into yeah. seasons. And if we're not aware of it, they are the killers of marriage. They're so yeah, damaging. That's exactly right.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. These four horsemen are the things that kill marriages. And if they're not addressed, if you, so what what I do is I I tell my couples when I'm going through this, I say, write these down and put them on your refrigerator and make a promise to each other that we are not going to let these four horses in our marriage ever again, ever. And I give you permission to call me out. I give you permission to say, hey, Doug, wait a minute, I'm feeling criticized. And I will say to you, Oh, wow. I'm sorry. I don't want to do that. Let me find another way to say this. Doug, it feels like you're getting defensive. I'm sorry. I I don't want to be defensive. I know that's going to hurt this conversation. Let me find another way to talk about this. So if you can keep these four horses out of your marriage, you can go a long way to solving problems without a whole lot of drama and really uh, not drive wedges between the two of you.
0: We're praying and fighting for marriages here on Trending at Relevant Radio. That's a licensed marriage and family therapist, Doug Hinder. We'll be right back taking your questions. So get in line. We only have so much time for free advice here on Trending with a Catholic licensed marriage and family therapist. If you'd like to call and get some free advice, parenting, marriage relationships, the phone number is 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. We're taking your questions today on the show with a licensed marriage and family therapist, navigating everything from parenting to marriage from a Catholic take. If you have a question, the number is 888-914-9149. That's our toll-free line, and it's sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. Doug Hinder's with me here today. If you'd like to check out him and his work, you can find him at happymarriageforlife.com. Let's go ahead and take some questions. Let's see. Stephen in East Jordan, Michigan's on the line. Stephen, welcome to Trending. What's going on in your life?
2: Well, we're doing well now. We've been married for um, 12 years we have um five children together and then I have two step uh daughters so we have seven together um I don't know how to explain it other than we have the same exact fights for 12 years then uh, we're probably both guilty of all those things um that you said to avoid doing in the marriage at some point including me yeah but uh, when you just have completely different ideas about how you discipline the kids and, uh, how the house should look, I you know, I don't know. Pet peeve would be like, I would, I would prefer the bathroom and the living room and the kitchen look at least presentable practically all the time, just in case your crazy relatives show up unexpectedly or just for cleanliness standards. And I don't want to trip over a bunch of like winter boots when I first walk into the house, uh, where, and then I brought up for 12 years straight, not to leave your, your boots laying right there. Those type of things. Uh, mm-hmm. how do, how do you resolve them other than just saying, Oh, well, just give it up. It's never going to be resolved. <laughs> if it's not been resolved after 13 years, it's never going to be. So just find a way to get over. it. It's not worth losing the marriage over.
1: Yeah. that no, great. You know what? First even listen, I, God bless you and congratulations. Five kids in 12 years plus two stepdaughters. That openness to life is a wonderful testimony to the world. So Mm. thank you for that. Um, And yeah, you know what? There are conflicts that just don't ever get resolved. And yeah, most couples end up 40 years later fighting about the same kinds of things. And and what the research shows is that 70% of the conflicts that couples have is not resolvable. You're just not going to get it fixed. 30% you can. And I think you do that with the, the formula that I just talked about, right? I feel, you know, I feel uneasy. I feel a lack of peace when I come home and there's boots all over the entryway into the house. And I'd like to see if we can't like, bring some order to at least the front room when I get home or something like that. So you start off by talking about your feelings and, and then it's not I'm just criticizing just for the sake of criticizing or I've got this, you know, I just hate boots kind of thing. But no, it, it it disrupts my peace and, and my harmony when I come into a to a messy home. And I'd like to see if we couldn't talk about a way to maybe bring a little more order to what we're doing. So, how, how
0: does that sound, Stephen?
2: Thank you. Very good. I'm I'm sure you're right. This is seventy percent of issues can't be resolved. It's never going to. After twelve years of me yelling about the boots, it's and they're still throwing their boots there. It's never going to change. But I, I could try that as, you know, uh, try to talk instead of accusing and then blaming and then making them, like injuring her and hurting her feelings and it's, it's thinking that it's going to achieve me anything positive. I to try the different route.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the criticism and the contempt will never motivate anybody to do anything different. And, but the problem is that they, they don't perhaps understand why you even care that the boots are messy. Right. Mm-hmm. And that there's a mess there and to explain it to people sometimes like, oh, well, I get it. And I guess I could do a better job. So, um, you know, and, and realize that there's certain areas. Uh, of family life, especially, you know, seven kids, man, you're going to have a lot of chaos. There's just is not going to be a lot of peace and order when you're raising seven kids. And that's part of the beauty of it. And that's part of uh, what, what makes life exciting as well. So uh, sometimes you just don't want to switch the small stuff either.
0: And Steven, I find too like, I love a clean house that's like my ideal. I knew before we started having children it was going to be a challenge for me to have a house less clean and it is. It's a challenge and sometimes the craziness of the mess I tend to fixate on one thing and funny enough you mentioned your your wife's boots or the boots that are left out. I've kind of fixated on the shoes. And that seems to be almost like my crutch, my thing that like, here are all these messy things. But if the boots can just be put away, but no one else really cares about the boots the way I do. And I finally went, you know what, this is a great opportunity for me to find humor and okay the house is messy. Is everyone happy? Are we eating? Okay. Sure. It might be late or whatever it might be. And to find the humor in it. And of okay, I've said something about the boots a million times. This is still bothering me to start laughing at myself. And then to just pick it up. Like if the boots are really the thing that's so aggravating for me, just go, go and put the shoes away. And that's what I've been doing. It's so funny because mm-hmm. I keep putting all my husband's shoes away and <laughs> he's such a clean person too, which is hilarious. And I'm so fixated on these shoes. And I just keep putting the shoes away. And he's going, where are my shoes? He can't find his <laughs> shoes. So it's just, it's funny. It's become this funny yeah. dynamic that I get it. And it's like this repeated thing. But I think sometimes we can change that dynamic and let it, let it be an opportunity for growth and an act of charitable love, even when we might be hoping that the other person might be loving us in that way by taking care of it.
1: Yeah, I love that, Timree. And I, I think, you know, if you have to choose between a neat house and a happy home, pick the happy home. You know that's going to be a lot better than than having a perfectly organized and and peaceful and, and uh, you know orderly home. So,
0: Maria's on the line from Tucson, Arizona. Maria, welcome to Trending. What's your question today?
3: Oh, thank you for having me and answering my call. My question is, um, I need advice. Basically, uh, newlywed, uh, six months in marriage, uh, three kids at home, two from his previous marriage and one from mine. Um, but the main thing that, um, we, I'm um, having issues with is, uh, his lying. previously, uh, his lying through the six months we've been married, um, regarding his ex, uh, wife. And, you know, uh, from the beginning when we were dating, I let him know that I've been hurt in the past with their exes. Like my ex-husband cheated on me with his ex. So I have, I'm hurt that way. So please be all been with me. and. and let me know what's going on or whatever and he lied little lies and bigger lies and, and now it's like uh, I don't think he'll cheat on me I don't I don't have that like, gut feeling I don't I don't want to be accusing and looking for that but the trust there is not there like for example um, I asked him you know has your wife been to our home that we live on like no he's ex-wife but then she's been so jealous that we got married and she been sending text messages and all this stuff and yeah surely but um she she was she came to his house two or three times um and that's a major issue because he was not open about it like you know they have kids together even if she came with her new husband or by herself it it should have been something they just answered and and told me and now not be in this situation you know
1: Yeah, I get it. I get it, Maria. And That's really tough. Trust is such an important part of what marriage is all about. Um, There's a lot of different reasons why people lie, especially when people lie about things they don't really need to lie about. Like, yes, she came over to see her kids or whatever. Um, A lot of times that comes from a point, a place of historically... If I, I'm afraid that if I tell you the truth, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to hear criticism or you're going to get angry, say some harshful things, hurtful things, harsh things. And so if I lie about it, you won't find out about it. And then I'm not going to get into trouble. And so one of the ways to deal with that is to make sure he understands, listen, I am not going to yell at you. I'm not going to get angry at you. I'm not, I'm not like anybody you've ever been with before. I'm going to treat you well and with respect. So you don't need to be afraid to tell me the truth because I'm never going to mm. criticize you or use contempt. And so your heart is safe with me, and you don't need to worry about lying because you don't have to protect yourself from me.
0: That's great. Setting up a place and a home for honesty. And sometimes people don't have that opportunity for honesty. People haven't had that soft landing place in that way, even to come back with their failures of times where they haven't been quite as honest. So isn't forgiveness so key to marriage? It's a Mary from Tucson. Um, let's see, Tom from Tucson, Arizona is on the line as well. Lots of people calling from Arizona today. Tom, welcome nice. to Trending. What's your question for Doug?
4: Hi there. Yeah, so I'm curious if you have any advice for um, ongoing hostilities and ongoing legal challenges. Um, I've I've got the unfortunate situation where I have to pay the fees, but I'm not in any economic situation to even afford an attorney for myself. And and this is just a, uh, it's, it's economically crushing. And it feels
1: like it's just, there's just no way out. It's just round and round. Tom, is is this a divorce situation, or is it some other legal issue?
4: Ah, uh, yes, it's it's a divorce situation, and we've been divorced now for uh, five years. Hmm. But um, <clears throat> I've been a reasonably uh, successful entrepreneur, so the first thing that happened was fees were awarded, and of course, then I was you know cashed out and going through bankruptcy, and you know, I'm not even able to have an attorney for myself, so I had to represent myself in the divorce. And that did not go well. Um, and it continues to not go well because there's just every chance they get, there's another legal, um, action made. And of course I have to continue to pay the fees, but I can't afford <clears throat> representation myself. So it's, it's really disheartening yeah. and it's really tough on my children too. Like college age children that I'm trying to support. We don't have any money to do so.
1: Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I understand what a difficult situation you're in. I mean, I, I'm not a lawyer. I, I don't, I can't give you legal advice, but I, I, could certainly for other people who are listening so often divorces turn so confrontational, um, and love turns to hate. And then we really just do things to try to hurt each other. And that's financial and that, that ends up being a very financially draining kind of, uh, event. So, um, yeah i don't have i i don't have any advice other than yeah filing for bankruptcy might free you of some of that but again i i'm not a lawyer and i think you know pray for your your wife your ex-wife that somehow her heart softens and she doesn't take such an adversarial approach in the court system i uh short of that though i i'm not sure what else what other advice i could give you Just-
0: Encouragement and God provides. You know, if we're we're following his will, we're doing his will, like we believe that God truly does provide. And in, in the midst of this, you know, I don't know the details of the divorce and everything, you know, if your marriage was annulled, but again, like coming back to focusing on those roles as parents and what God has called us to and being parents, being the primary educators of our children. And we educate by our example, both in action but also faith and fidelity and prayer and so I just encourage you navigating that prayerfully and trusting in God's providence because he truly does provide in situations such as these so I'd really encourage you to go in that direction you know we're in the midst of this Christmas novena if you've ever prayed that Christmas novena it's a great novena leading up to Christmas it's never too late to start it's more than nine days or could be less than nine days if you're starting later so I encourage you to check out that Christmas novena and ask our Lord to help and resolve this situation. A question came in, and if you're just joining me, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio with Doug Hinder. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist. On Instagram, Kateri asked Do you have advice for navigating holiday plans, pleasing people, and preserving family time? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, this is the tough time, right? Where it's supposed to be this beautiful religious time for us, uh, and there's so much tension and pressure to buy the gifts and go to the parents and visit everybody. And I think, in fact, I just had a couple I was working with earlier today with that same exact issue. And and the idea is to be able to have a clear list of priorities in, in your brain, in your mind that you both agree on, that when we have to make a choice between going to you know, uh, Aunt Rita's house on Christmas Eve or staying home or going to Uncle Ed's house, We know how to prioritize. We know what's the most important. And obviously, we're going to prioritize the marriage first, family second, children second. uh, And what does that look like? And then with whatever time is left over, then we can go out to extended family and friends. But you just need to have a very clear idea that you both agree to on what the priorities are and how we're going to make choices between all these different things. Because you will not be able to please everybody. You will always have competing uh, you know, uh, demands on your time. So you got to really be aligned on what's what's critical, what's important.
0: And something we've really kind of focused on my husband and I is we want to have that time in the morning you wake up, you're able to be at home, open presents together, enjoy morning breakfast, uh, be able to have our kids now enjoy being home and playing with the gifts they've received and just that that calm, that rest. And sometimes I find that it can be so busy running from place to place and preparing the foods for the parties that we're, we've really chosen since we've gotten married to preserve that time, that first half of the day on Christmas, especially if maybe you sleep in from Christmas. Christmas Eve. My Mm family is a big Christmas Eve family. So we do Christmas Eve with my family, you know, at home, it's just us. And then we go in the evening uh, to my in-laws and it's worked well. It it doesn't feel as rushed as it easily can be if we were trying to jump from one thing to the next, or if everyone was pulling, say, Hey, we really want you here by this time that we're making sure that it's not just about getting to the next thing, but actually being able to cultivate that quiet time on Christmas and prayerful time as well. I find Doug, it's hard to be prayerful. Uh, at oh, Christmas yeah. time, when we're yeah. rushing,
1: <laughs> it's the holiest time of the year, and it's the it's the hardest time of the year to be prayerful. I, I agree, and and yeah, you you just you, you get exhausted with all the the demands, and so figure out what it is you want to say yes to, and say no to everything else, and realize that people will be disappointed, but that's okay. Uh, you can't please them all. Take care of that most important priorities, which is your marriage and your children. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And just with that, I find it's helpful to be really upfront with people with what your plans are, especially with in-laws or your own family, because th- then they know, right? Like they're not wondering. Sometimes I think people delay responding or sharing their plans for a holiday because they don't want to let people down or they feel uncomfortable about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think you're better off to let them know, like, you know, in July what you're going to do at Christmas time. So they've got plenty of advanced uh, uh, warning. But uh, yeah, these are these are tense times. You just got to have the the conversation so that the two of you are aligned and then, you know, let people decide on their own if they want to be happy for your choices or not. So.
0: That's licensed marriage and family therapist, Doug Hinder. You can find him at happymarriageforlife.com. Again, that's happymarriageforlife.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Doug. Enjoy your Advent season. I'll be right back here on Trending. Talk about what the dink lifestyle is that's trending on social media.
2: Some captive Israel That mourns in lonely exile here Until the Son of God appear Rejoice, rejoice so
0: much to talk about stay with me tomorrow here on trending because california is a no-kill state for animals yet they are the predominant in Most funded state when it comes to abortion, even spending, I think, the upwards of looking at 20 million or more to bring people from across the border from other states into the state to have access to abortion. There's a lot to be said on that, along with it's the Advent season. And tomorrow we're talking about the Jesse tree. It really is a tree chronicling the story of salvation history and the longing and coming for the Messiah, Jesus Christ, using awesome symbols to incorporate it, whether you use a Jesse tree or not, adapt some of your ornaments. I want to share with you some of the neat ideas and traditions behind the Jesse tree. Even if maybe you're not ready to incorporate it into your home, I think there's a lot to be said of the power of symbols and for passing on the faith. And there are actually some really simple ways to do it in your household, even if you have kids and you can do printed cutouts. I'll share more about that tomorrow here on Trending. What I really want to talk about is the dink lifestyle trending on social media over the last week has been a tiktok video after tiktok video viral videos emerging of couples who have no children and they are so dink stands for d-i-n-k dual income no kids and these videos are exploding online predominantly of zoomers also known as gen z and the millennial generation sharing about how they're married. It's great. They have no kids. They can do whatever they want, whenever they want, and they don't use their kids as a crutch or excuse, and they get plenty of sleep, which would that be great? Uh, Here, I'll share with you, listen to one of these TikTok videos, and I'll share with you some of my thoughts. Listen up.
4: We're Dinks. We go to Trader Joe's and workout classes on the weekends. We're Dinks. We get into snobby hobbies like skiing and golfing. We're Dinks. We can go to Florida on a whim. We're Dinks. We're already planning our European vacation next year. Dinks, we get a full eight hours of sleep, and sometimes more. We're Dinks, we get desserts and appetizers at restaurants. We're Dinks, we can play with other kids and give them back. <laughs> We're Dinks, we still do it three times a week. We're Dinks, we spend our discretionary income on $8 latte. <laughs> We're Dinks, we max out our 401ks, Roth IRAs, and HSAs. We're Dinks, we don't use our kids or dog as an excuse to leave a party. We just leave. <laughs>
0: Okay, so there's one example of the dink videos that are trending all over social media. It's just a bragging lifestyle like, hey, I don't have kids. Life is great. I have a few takes on this, and I'll start with this. I think that before we like, I think a lot of people are sitting here pointing fingers saying like, oh my goodness, these people are so selfish. Like they're over here celebrating that they don't have kids. I think we've got to hold hold up the criticism for a moment And start with the fact that there are a lot of, a lot of young people today. Who are unable to have children, or who have been told they will not be able to have children because of various medical diagnoses, from polycystic ovarian syndrome, years of hormonal contraceptive use, um, and not everyone who has fertility issues uh, has taken contraception in the past. A lot of people are struggling with thyroid issues that can impact fertility, and so I start from the perspective: I think a lot of young couples, uh, especially young women, are entering into marriage thinking, "I can't have kids," so. Let's have fun. Let's have this positive attitude. And there's almost this like, uh, almost an attitude of like, I'm really gonna push hard. How like happy I am because I I get all the sleep I want. I can do whatever I want. And I think that that comes from sometimes a place of woundedness. And so I think when we see some of these trending viral TikTok videos about the dink lifestyle, the dual income no kids lifestyle. I think that's a key part of this conversation because infertility is only on the rise and a lot of people are being told that they can't have children or likely would have a hard time so they're throwing their hands up early and this is why I love our Napper physicians who help to treat underlying medical health conditions impacting fertility just because you have PCOS, endometriosis, thyroid issues, doesn't mean you can't have children. I'm a walking case of this. I've shared my story here on Trending before with PCOS and Hashimoto's disease. And so I just think that that's a key part of this whole dual income, no kids conversation. Because at the same time, you do have a culture that says, don't have kids, you do you. And that verbiage, you do you, has been so prevalent behind the scenes and the way we think about how we will live our lives, the things that we'll enjoy, that I think that it's at the core of the dink lifestyle, that dual income, no kids mindset. Of you do you, you have fun, you enjoy what you want. Let your truth be your truth, my truth by my truth. Don't criticize it, but just know I'm having a blast. It's also part of the braggadocious social media culture we live in, where we share every wonderful thing that we enjoy about our lives but hide all of the nitty gritty painful challenging moments of our lives and so this this is what we should expect in a social media culture that says hey share the best moments of your life not the less than best moments and i'm seeing this ongoing tension and the culture today, not just in secular culture, but even within the Christian communities, among friends of mine who I am there side by side with who are struggling to have kids, struggling with infertility, doing everything they can, almost trying to move mountains in their medical care in the hope that they might be able to conceive children. And I see the criticism from people with families who say, oh, you can do whatever you want. Oh, you get as much sleep as you want. You just don't get it. And almost this a harshness toward people who don't have kids from people who do have kids. Rather than showing the truth of family life or the joy of family life, sometimes there can be a lot of criticism or resentment toward people who don't have children. And so I think duly noted, we're seeing the dual income, no kids lifestyle where they say, well, hey, I want to tell you how great of a life I'm having. If you're going to be critical of me for not having kids, well, let me tell you how much fun I am having while not having kids. So it goes to this cultural tension that's happening between having children and not having children. Well, I think some would like to just say, hey, this is the result of a very selfish, selfish culture, which for some, sure it is. I think it's also a little bit of, hey, this is me defending my lifestyle as I'm being criticized. And I might be being criticized for not having kids when I can't have kids. I'm having a hard time having children. I think that that's part of this narrative in the dual income, no kids conversation. Another part of the dual income, no kids conversation that I think is really key is that I have seen firsthand in my generation, I'm a millennial, that a lot of my peers have never been exposed in the last 10, 15 years to children to babies, to family life. I remember actually, for example, when my my husband and I were then dating and my sister-in-law had her first kid. And it was the first baby in the family in a really long time. I think it was like over 15 years that they had had in their immediate family. they had had no babies, no children around. It had been a long time that they had been exposed to kids. And so even just that example of a big Lebanese family, they hadn't had a lot of hands-on contact with family life or babies. It was a very new area versus for me and my family, we're booming with babies and children. How to hold the kids is normal to us. Um, We've seen, I've seen my older cousins having babies for years now. And we kind of just see this flow, this process of exposure to family life. Not everyone has that today. I think there's a huge lack of exposure to babies and to family life. We have a whole generation of youth who really have hardly been around children or people a little ahead of them in life, having families. And so I think this whole dink lifestyle being promoted comes from a place of woundedness, defiance, infertility, wounds from family of origin where, hey, I don't want to have kids based on the experience I had. I was talking to my husband earlier and I said, what are your thoughts on the dink lifestyle? And his first reaction was, people don't know what they're missing. The joy of cuddling your children at the end of the day, snuggling with them and having fun. They don't know what they're missing because maybe there was a wound from their family of origin. Or maybe they just haven't been around other parents who, yes, are in the challenging moments of parenthood, but who are also delighting in the innocence and joy
3: of parenting in their children.